Welcome to Find the Magic, the podcast that will help you honor yourself, your kids, and your partner. We'll give you tips and strategies to create peace and authenticity within your family. We inhale a ridiculous amount of books and life tools and distill the information for you. I'm Terilyn Griffin. I'm Caitlin Gabriel. And I'm Felicia Allen. Let's find the magic together. everybody, this is Tara Lynn here, and I am so excited because I am here with Lopa Vandermersch. She is the founder and CEO of Rasa, which is a coffee alternative, which you guys have heard me talk about many, many times. I love Lopa's story. I love her personality. She has overcome a lot of things, and she's going to be talking to us about today about resilience. I mean, you guys have heard us talk here on the podcast a lot about emotional resilience and how we can help our kids with that and ourselves. And Lopa's story is just so beautiful and so powerful. And I love the wisdom and insights that she's gained throughout her life. And I'm really looking forward to her teaching us about what it means to be resilient in the face of trauma and resilient in just the face of life. So Lopa, welcome. Thank you for coming. Thank you so much for having me, Terilyn. It's wonderful to be here. And hello to everyone listening. Okay, Lopa, tell us some, first, just introduce yourselves to our listeners. So they kind of know a little bit more about you before we dive into your story. Sure, sure. So I'm a mama. Um, I have two little boys, three and almost six. We live in Boulder, Colorado. And, you know, for much of my life, I've been really on this quest for, you know, I, I often frame it in this in the scope of energy, but in a way it's also like limitlessness and like, we you know, what's the full expression of human potential and where that has brought me is, is very deep into some spiritual traditions, one lineage in particular, and, um, and very deep inward, but also an incredible expression outward as well. And so, you know, I have Rasa, I have kids, I have, you know, many things going on in my life and also a lot of, uh, really, really challenging circumstances. Um, you know, I just happen to have been, you know, whatever, call it karma, call it just stuff we have to work through, have had, uh, more than my fair share of challenges. And, um, those have really, uh, shaped me in many ways and, Though I wouldn't wish some of these experiences on others, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have a do-over, you know, like I, I don't regret anything. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people that tries to mine the wisdom and the, the goodness from everything, even the worst possible circumstances. Okay. So tell me, tell us a little bit about, I mean, when you talk about your fair share of difficult things, let's go to 2015 because it was a doozy of a year for you. Can you tell us what, what happened in 2015 or, and maybe if you want to even start before that, just a little summary of your journey before you start that, actually, though, you said you, one spiritual lineage in particular has influenced you. Is there like a name to that spiritual lineage? Yeah. Um, so I spent about 10 years, uh, deep in study in a, uh, it's called Kashmiri Shaivite Tantra would be the tradition. And then the lineage is the Saraswati lineage within that. And, you know, at its, at its core, it's a, it's a liberation tradition. It's a Dharma, um, a Dharma tradition, uh, using yoga, Ayurveda meditation to realize our total unity with each other and with the essence of love itself and the base from which everything arises. So had tremendous experiences with that. Um, and it also led me, I 
for various reasons, left that situation and got into a cult environment after that. Um, and that was highly traumatic. Um, my lineage tradition was not, but this particular experience, which was fortunately much more short-lived, just about a year and a half, but left a lot of scars. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, let's dive into that then. Tell us. So it sounds like you were having a beautiful spiritual journey and then this is, you were pregnant with your second baby in 2015 or was that your first? first? That was your first. Okay. Okay. Excellent. So tell us, tell us a little bit about that. Tell us your story. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I will just like go back a little bit just cause there's something I, I think in my history that is so relevant to so many people. And I like to normalize it and just be like uh, open about it to the extent that I, can um because I feel like that's a that's helpful um so one of the things that initially got me towards alternative healing and holistic health and really sort of understanding myself was uh, I had an eating disorder mm-hmm. when I was young so I um, started with anorexia and then it went into bulimia and um I finally was like I can't do this to myself something woke up and was like this is not how we do this <laughs> this is not you know gonna work Um, And so that's part of what uh, it was really Ayurveda that really actually kind of was a a major healing component to that, but also, you know, meditative practice and yogic practice and like really getting into my body and being like, okay, we can't be like treating the body like a vessel and then doing that kind of stuff. No, that's not how this works. So, you know, you know, spiritual awakening was a really big part of kind of healing from something that's really pervasive in our culture in big and small ways, you know, whether or not somebody identifies with having an eating disorder, I think there's disordered eating and terrible attitudes toward food abound. Amen. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, had this um, experience in this spiritual tradition, which I'm now starting to kind of come back to and, and reconsider, you know, like, oh, let's get back on the cushion and all those good kinds of things. And 2015, um, was when I realized that I was in a cult. Um, My husband and I were both in the cult and he sort of realized it first. And then I did after that, it was someone who was kind of witnessing from the outside who was like, you know, like he, he was really circumspect about how he's, it was a total stranger basically, but had been observing a little bit on Facebook and some things and was like, I'm just going to go on a limb here. And he kind of gave some examples of some really humble spiritual teachers and um, some people that, you know, I think had a level of attainment that wasn't what my teacher, the, the cult leader that I was starting with at the time had. And it just, there was this kind of distinct experience of a bubble popping and we weren't really fully able or willing to like acknowledge it immediately. You know, it wasn't, wasn't like, like, like that's a kind of awakening that can happen for my husband. It probably took a couple of weeks for me. It probably took a few months, Mm. even years to like continue to be like, Oh wow. There's, there's all these beliefs in here that I'm really dependent on this person for my connection with, with God, with source that I am, that I am in some way deficient or bad on my own and that I need to kind of atone and, you know, be in relationship to this person because that's, what's going to kind of get me better. And in some way, like, you know, all these things that you don't know, like, if I say that now, you'd be like, I I would never get into a situation like that. Right. But it always with, you don't know that you're entering a cult when you get into a cult. Right. Um, they're not like, come join the cult. <laughs> yes. Quick, yeah. sign up by Friday. Um, 
And and then also realizing that some of the the experiences that I had, you know, that may have been seen as kind of spiritual experiences or like movement of kundalini, um, kind of, you know, intense energy in the body may have also been trauma moving through the body um, and quite a lot of it. And that, you know, like there's sort of an awakening to like just how much, how intense and how complete the experience was. We were, we were a hundred percent in, and there was really almost nothing else to my life at that time. Um, so all these kinds of things, this dawning happened a few weeks later. I had, I was pregnant at the time, um, five, five months pregnant with my first, had an emergency back surgery, had uh, major and horrendous pain in my back and then saw a neurosurgeon he was like yeah we'll see you at six o'clock tonight oh my and, uh, and I was like I'm pregnant he was like you don't have a choice <gasps> it's either this or paralysis okay so I guess I'm having surgery today um, and then we were already planning to move across country so we moved across country ended up having to actually I couldn't fly because I couldn't sit in a chair for that long after the surgery. And so we had to like buy it. We bought a van to, so I could like lay down and drive across the country the whole way um, while I was recovering. <clears throat> and then shortly after um, lost a member of our family. And then shortly after had my baby with, with a not an easy birth, I, you know, there's, there was some trauma there and it, it did end up being a, emergency C-section. He was breech and I was trying for a vaginal breech birth, but just didn't end up going into good labor, but mm. uh, had labor for about three days and um, had these like 10 to 15 minute contractions, which were just um, like, I, it was, it was, I was like, it's really not supposed to be this long, is it? You know, on and on, but it never got into like a good rhythm with the contractions. So uh, yeah, then that, and then a huge falling out with my family and all of that happened in actually like a six month period. And my, in addition to all the, the trauma that happened in, in the cult environment and the, um, the trauma bonds that happened there, like this, you know, incredible love and then getting beaten down verbally. And, you know, my nervous system was really fried. Um, and unsurprisingly, you know, I was also dealing with postpartum anxiety and postpartum depression as well. You know, it was just a lot in, in my, my whole sense of self took this really massive hit in that year. And for, for a lot of it, and I think a lot of people can relate to this, you know, also 20, 2020, I think was, was this for many people in a lot of ways. And I think especially for parents um, and all the extra things that we've had to deal with in the last year, like there's this sense of just white knuckling and like, hang on, you know, like, can I just get through the days? Mm -hmm. um, and there was definitely some of that. Um, and I think, you know, in terms of like, what does it mean to be resilient in the face of, of, you know, extenuating circumstances, some of which you have no control over. And some of it is just, did I, did I survive? You know, did I get through another day and like really celebrating whatever tiny wins there are? Did I take one deep breath? maybe, you know, yes. um, sometimes it's at that level because there, you know, there was such a state of emergency in my system that, you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't look back on that particular year and be like, oh yes, I did so well. And I was really equanimous. You know? <laughs> um, no, I was white knuckled and somehow I survived and I'm really proud of that. Um, and, you know, I come back to, um, if you've ever read 
Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. There's a, a sentence in there, a quote from there. He, of course, it's male-centric, but he who has a why to live for can survive any how. Mm-hmm. I love um, that. And I, I hold that in context also with the Stockdale paradox, which is the, uh, I believe it was John, I think was his first name, John Stockdale, who was a uh, Vietnamese prisoner of war, who said that it was the ones who had hope that actually died. Um, and it was the ones who just accepted their circumstance that that survived and made it out. It was the ones who were like, all right, we're, we're going to get out by Christmas this year. You know, we're going to get out by Christmas. And they just like their, their hopes kept on getting dashed. And so there's this interesting, like, I feel like I sort of sit in between both of those and I use kind of both of those concepts at different times to kind of help to cultivate that, that additional, that resilience. Um, sometimes it's like, okay, what if this circumstance never changes? You know, mm-hmm. like, how would I find peace, acceptance, contentment with exactly as it is. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the Stockdale kind of angle. Mm-hmm. And then, but then there's also the, like, what's the why and what's the meaning out of this? Sometimes, sometimes we can, I think that finding meaning can sometimes be a little bit of a red herring. You know, sometimes like I'd look back on that year, or I'd look back on the experiences and be like, look, why is this happening to me? There's a little bit of like, did I do something wrong? Am I being taught lessons that I can't quite understand right now? And there's a little bit of like, it adds to the, it can add to the anxiety. But if there is something that can help us make sense of it, um, one of the things that has like been my go-to no matter what's happening, this one's pretty reliable for me, is that all the, all the challenging things that happen to us, they deepen us. Mm-hmm. They cause us to go deeper and deeper into our sense of self, deeper and deeper into our core. And we, have, we, we build tremendous empathy from that. Our own suffering gives us empathy for others. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's one that has continued to bear fruit. You know, like I've, I can always go back to like, okay, mm-hmm. if nothing else, I am going to be a more compassionate person mm-hmm. after this. You know, like if nothing else, this is making me realize I can survive a lot. If nothing else, this is making me have more range of experience. And if we can experience more pain, we can experience more pleasure. The spectrum goes both ways. Mm -hmm. If we narrow our spectrum of like acceptable emotion, we limit the pain and we limit the pleasure. You know, that that spectrum is um, mutually dependent. And so if we in some way, and I'm not saying that we should also, um, for example, like indulge abusive situations or allow and wallow in um, mental health crisis without getting help. I'm not like saying any of those things, but if we can kind of really allow intimacy with the pain and not add that layer of like, this shouldn't be happening or I should, you know, something, something like I need to change this or the circumstance shouldn't be exactly as it is. If we can be in, in a real intimacy with just the sensation that we have, then we take out that additional layer of suffering that is our own distance and resistance to it. Resistance causes suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, acceptance actually can start to be, there can even be some interestingness to it. You know, the, and mm-hmm. I wasn't always able to, you know, access this kind of thing, but sometimes, you know, it's as a tool in the toolkit, you can be like, wow, I am experiencing so much pain right now. I am 
really amazed at what is possible in my experience right now and just be like really kind of in wonder at the experience as opposed to like you know trying to push it away or making it, make it something it's not and again that doesn't mean wallow that doesn't mean don't change the circumstances um that you know that might give you more support or whatever it is that you need but sometimes we don't have there's not much to change sometimes it's just like no this is just this just sucks right now mm-hmm. so if you're in one of those situations and there's really not much that you can change um, acceptance is it can be a really really powerful tool for resilience and then sometimes you find it moves through a little bit faster and then you have a little bit more bandwidth to be like okay oh there is there is one piece of freedom that that i have here there is one choice that i can make that's going to um bring me a little more peace, bring me a little more freedom, bring my human body a little more comfort and support, those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. I I love what you're saying so much because I think it is, it feels like a paradox to me because, but I mean, I think there's so much truth, which is the nature of a paradox, that it's the difference of, it feels as though when we're in pain, when we're in any kind of pain, this applies to childbirth. I mean, if we're looking at I'm thinking about my old childbirth situations, but consider yours. You went Mm -hmm. through a lot of pain. You, there had to be some kind of acceptance of experiencing the pain. But then for you, the C-section was the thing that needed to happen to make you and your baby safe, right? So action had to happen to you out of the pain, but you have to be present with it. It's the nature of life is that we're present with it. That's how we can move through. And as you were talking, the imagery came to my mind of when you said the difference between wallowing and being intimate with pain. Mm. I really like those words because to me, it's the difference between saying, I am going to make this pain my neighbor, my house, right? Like I'm going to just hunker down and just stay here forever and continuing thought processes that keep me in this pain and continuing with my circumstances that keep me in this pain. And I just might be here forever as opposed to, I'm going to be intimate with this pain, feel it. And then from that place of acceptance, have this be a neighborhood that I'm moving through, looking at it as a process of is like you said, is there something from this space of acceptance? Is there something now that I can do to change? Do I need to get out of this unsafe situation? Do I need to change this or is there something I think we actually are much more empowered I just love the word that use that word I feel empowered when I can be intimate with my own pain and then make changes from that space instead of saying things to myself like it shouldn't be this way this isn't fair you know this is wrong that I'm feeling this because it's not wrong that you're feeling this I love the curiosity when you said this is this is amazing I am in wonder that I can feel this much and I think that's a beautiful place. I think it's, that's actually the first step anytime we're going to get out of pain, mm-hmm. but it, it's counterintuitive for a lot of us because we haven't practiced that, right? We mm-hmm. practice when we feel pain, just moving away from it, doing anything we can to numb it. Perhaps that's through behaviors that numb it, substances that we take into our bodies that numb it. Mm-hmm. But I think if you can become intimate with pain, that is the first step to actually moving through it because that is the only way resistance doesn't move through it. It just mm-hmm. makes it stuck in the mud. So I'm really loving these. I mean, these are, this is language that I am familiar with in the, as we're talking about acceptance and pain, but I haven't ever used the word wallow and intimate. And I'm really liking those words because you're right. Mm-hmm. There's a difference between wallowing and sitting there. And I'm really glad you brought up. I, I feel really sensitive. Anytime we're talking to a wide 
worldwide audience like this, that there are people who are listening who are in an abusive situation. And I think there's a difference between recognizing that it's an unhealthy relationship, feeling mm-hmm. the pain of that, and then moving yourself to a safe space. Like you, sounds like you did with when you were in that cult, right? You yeah. had to recognize it. If you just kept ignoring it, you would, you could still be there, right? You had mm-hmm. to recognize it. And then you actually had to take steps to move yourself into a safer situation. So I just want people listening to hear that when we talk about being intimate with your pain, it doesn't mean staying in an unsafe situation. It Mm -hmm. means seeing it clearly, feeling it, and it can be very, very painful and then moving yourself into a safe space. Would you agree with that? And and following that really, this part really applies to your um, condition that you were in with the cult that when you were dependent and when you said trauma bonding and all those kinds of things, when you feel like your spirituality is dependent on a single person who's living right now, who's imperfect, how, how can you bring yourself from moving from a space of having somebody that you love? Cause I'm assuming you felt love. Mm-hmm. How, how can you f- move yourself from feeling like, but this in so many ways, you it probably felt like it was fulfilling something for you. How did you get the courage to move yourself into a safer situation and accept that pain of that? Yeah, in in that circumstance, it was interesting because there was there were times where there was a question about whether or not my husband was going to stay or if I was going to stay. So I didn't even quite have the like, well, we did it together. We, we did, but there were moments where it was like, I might just have to do this myself. And I will say, I think the actual the final primary driver was. Um, my baby. Mm. And it was, you know, I, I sort of look at him sometimes like I might have stuck in if I didn't have responsibility for someone else. Mm. Um, because I was like, I can't subject him to this. Mm. Um, I can't be, you know, and there were people in, in the cult who had previously um, miscarried and, you know, it was like kind of spiritualized and this whole thing. And, you know, I was like, I can't, risk doing that to this creature, this being that is in my care. Um, and so I think the the power of, of being responsible to someone else and the responsibility in that, I'll go a little bit deeper. Um, you know, I have at times had suicidal tendencies, um, you know, from the uh, complex post-traumatic stress disorder and all of that. Um, it's just been, you know, something that's happened. And I think that's another thing that's important to normalize. And in those moments, it's been a hundred percent. Like I, I will never do that because of my kids, you know, like if it was just me, it might, who knows, you know, I don't totally know, but it was my kids that was like, I am the, the, the power of the love of a parent is it's a free ride on unconditional love, you know, like that's, you know, and if we want to like go into a more spiritual consideration of that, I mean, that's what like what I could say is that's God's love for us as well. Like we're, that's pouring through us all the time and into us We're we're being loved in that way, but we also get to experience what's that, what that's like with kids. So as moms, we have a ton of demands on us that affect us both mentally, physically, and emotionally. And recently I learned about an app called Mama Zen and it's awesome. What's cool about it is that it really centers and gives you certain meditations that are specific for what's going on in your life right now. So at the very beginning when you sign up for the app, you can kind of say what stage of motherhood you're in, whether it's like pregnant, new mom phase, 
or if you're like a little bit later in life and you have some older kids and it specifically gives you recommendations of different meditations that you can do specific to what's going on in your life and the mental and physical and emotional demands that you have going on. So right now with me being pregnant, I have actually used this app for certain meditations to help me get ready for delivery as well as I'm kind of having some hard time sleeping. I wake up every two hours to go to the bathroom and sometimes I have a hard time going back to sleep. So some things that I've really liked about it is that it can give me these meditations that are really specific to whatever's going on with me right now. And I love that they can be anywhere from two minutes to 15 minutes. So whatever you've got going on in your life, you can kind of make it work for, for you. And another thing that I've absolutely loved about it is that the, when you choose a meditation, you can actually decide if you want to wake at the end or sleep at the end. That's a game changer nice. yeah. for me. Yeah, because sometimes it's like, by the end of this, i got to be ready and alert to like keep going with my day. But then sometimes it's like, if it's in the middle of the night and I need to do one, I really would like to go back to sleep. So I've actually used both, which has been awesome because it's really been tailored for me and like what's going on in my life. So it's been really great. Yeah, the voices on the Mama Zen app are great. For me, a meditation with a not soothing voice does not work. So I, lo- I love their voices. I tried the Release Perfectionism meditation. It was fantastic. And I'm going to double down on the wake, wake or sleep. So, so great. So we have a special code for our listeners. So you guys can try Mama Zen for free for 30 days. And to do that, you just go to Mama Zen, which is M-A-M-A-Z-E-N, and that's in the App Store. And you just type in the promo code Find the Magic, just all one word, Find the Magic, and you get a full 30 days with unlimited access. And you can try all sorts of amazing short or long meditations. Some of my favorite options are Patience for Never-Ending Bedtime, being more present with my child, and they also have an SOS de-stress just for when you need a short, like you're, you're having a moment and you really need to pull it back. Or you can stop emotional eating when you're feeling it like right in the moment. Try it out and let us know how you feel about it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Tara Lynn, and I'm here again just to thank you guys for your amazing reviews. I cannot get over how much I love them. Uh, One of the most recent ones that I love so much says that it's from a mother, and she said when her daughter turned 18 months, she said that I started to notice I was really struggling with all the challenges of motherhood. I was at a breaking point and felt like I couldn't share my honest thoughts with anyone without the sting of their silent judgment. This podcast was a saving grace. Not only have I learned some great tools and coping mechanisms, but I no longer feel like I am alone or I'm doing something wrong or I'm a terrible mother if I meet some hardships in parenting. I now realize that it's completely normal and I'm so much more patient with myself and my daughter. And then she goes on to say some other really kind things. And I... I'm just so grateful because that's one of our main goals of this podcast is to help parents feel like they are not alone because we aren't. We are in this together and we're all working on it together. So um, I just want to thank you guys. We could not 
be where we are with our podcast without you guys as our listeners. So thank you so much. Uh, we appreciate your reviews. They make a huge difference in the success of our podcast, and we really do cherish each one of them. So if you would be so kind to leave us a review if you'd like to, all you do is go to Apple Podcasts on iTunes, and you search for Find the Magic, scroll to the bottom of the page, you click write a review, and then there you can rate us and write a review. And we, again, cherish every everything you say there. And if you ever have any questions, you can also put them there as well. And we have a little list that we keep of questions that pop up. And then as we're deciding on what episodes or what topics to talk about, we always go to that list that we have compiled from you guys. So thank you so much. We love, love, love you. And, you know, one of the things that also I've been reflecting on too, in terms of, you know, what's, what's a toxic situation versus um, like, how do you kind of know? And what's like at the time, you know, had I looked back in, and had this awareness at that time, I think I would have had a little more clarity and been able to leave earlier, but something is toxic. If you're not able to digest it, you know, from the Ayurvedic perspective, like you can have the healthiest food in the world. And if you can't digest it, it's not healthy for your body. Mm. Um, and so, and we digest our experiences as well. And so like, if something, you know, we might have a traumatic event and sometimes it can take a long time to digest. Um, and so it's, you know, it, it's important to hold that there's, there's frames of context here, but, you know, say you're in a relationship or say you're in a, in a work environment, for example, and, you know, you just keep on finding you're churning over these things and it's not really moving forward and you keep on having the same patterns and they haven't moved, you know, like even in like marriage dynamics, you know, like my husband and I, you know, have had our share of struggles, you know, dealing with all of this in the aftermath. And there's times where it's like, for the most part with us, we, we get somewhere with it. You know, we have digested something. We have integrated some layer of understanding ourselves and each other of understanding how to be together, um, how to take care of each other and that sort of thing. But if we weren't, and we were just kind of looping in the same kind of texture of stuff, um, we have had those times. That's when we like get outside help. Like, okay, we're just kind of, we've been stuck in this stuff for a little while here. Like, all right, let's, let's get an outside perspective, for example. So really looking at like, am I digesting this experience, whatever it is that I'm in? And if I'm not, you know, what's the enzyme that's going to help, mm. you know, like whether that's perspective, whether that's space from the situation, whether that's an outside perspective or, or help, or whether that's, you know, completely changing the dynamic. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I love that idea that, toxicity is anything we can't digest. That's beautiful because you're right. It, it applies to our bodies and our minds. So you're saying that we know a situation is toxic if we can't digest it. And that doesn't necessarily mean like you're saying, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to get out of a situation. It means that you might need some outside help digesting it so you can see it clearly because sometimes when you're in a situation, it's hard to see it clearly yourself. Mm-hmm. Great. Okay. I agree with that hundred percent. It is very difficult sometimes to see your own situation clearly. And so getting outside help is very helpful and space. I'm also glad you mentioned space because I think sometimes just giving yourself some space really can allow you to see things clearly. And I also, as you were talking, 
sometimes as I either am, you know, talking with my co-host or with a person I'm interviewing, I can almost hear my listeners. I haven't, you know, enough of them reach out and tell us, I can almost like hear their voices saying, wait, wait, what about this? And I think a lot of people have resistance to facing their own pain and, and feeling it or looking, you, you talked about, you know, the difference between Victor Frankl's approach and was it Stockdale? Is that the name of the, the man who said that people with hope die yeah. faster? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, those kind of two different approaches. And, you know, you talked about if you start looking for what is the reason, you know, what is, can I find any value from the situation? I think a lot of people feel a resistance to that because they're like, well, if I find any value to this, that means I'm like condoning it or saying that I would have chosen this terrible experience. And I think it's important to differentiate that if you find some kind of gift from a negative situation, it doesn't mean that you would have chosen the situation or that you think it was a good thing, right? You can have a a terrible experience, a very traumatic experience. You know, there, I mean, there's a wide range in humanity that you can choose from here that, that are just really, truly terrible, terrible, awful experiences. And to find the gift from that doesn't mean that you're saying it was okay, or that you agree with the person who, who did the thing that was terrible or, or even that you're saying, oh yeah, I would have chosen that. And I think some people do get to the point where they look back and say, looking back, I'm glad I experienced that. Like I wouldn't trade it away, but I also wouldn't have chosen it. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and I think it's okay to still find gifts because in any situation, there is something that comes out of it. And I'm really glad you mentioned empathy because that's something that can come out of any, I mean, in the spectrum of human experience, anything we experience adds to our ability to empathize with other people. So even if that is the only thing that you can find in a gift from a situation, that's something it's like when you're thinking about what you're grateful for and all you can come back to is your breath, right? Like I'm, I'm just grateful for the air that I'm breathing. Empathy Mm -hmm. is like that for me. When you're looking at painful situations, you can always gain empathy from a negative situation in your ability to connect with other people who are going through the same thing. And you can offer them hope. I'm, I'm so glad Lopa that you have normalized just in this conversation, people listening to you, they have heard a woman who on so many fronts, you are successful, you're inspiring, you're articulate, and you have struggled with an eating disorder that you are very open about. And you, in your spiritual journey, which, which in a lot of ways led you to a beautiful path, also that same spiritual journey, you know, you've also been through trauma because of it, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad you normalize suicidal thoughts and all these kinds of things. I mean, think about just that alone. You are making other people feel like they are not all by themselves in their struggle just from you sharing it. So that's a beautiful thing that we can find as a gift in any situation that just that ability to connect with other people who are struggling, I think is so beautiful. So I applaud you for your transparency. And I love this. It feels, I don't know if the right word here is a wrestle, but it's a wrestle. That's how it feels to me. A wrestle between seeing the difficult things in our lives, seeing the things that are painful, accepting the gift that is there, but without saying, but I want to stay in these difficult situations, or I'm choosing to stay in unhealthy situations and I'm going to process through, but there are other situations and I'm really glad you brought it up. Sometimes we're going through something hard that maybe will never change. Maybe you have a child who's 
has health struggles that, you know, you're going to be for the rest of their lives. You know what I mean? And how, how can we do that is by being intimate with pain and seeing this, the gifts that come out of it, but that the circumstance itself might change. So I feel like it's this really complex, really complex. Like there's no one way of doing it, but I'm loving the things you're pulling out here of being intimate with pain being willing to sit in a space, but not wallow there. Perhaps if something's toxic, getting outside help and giving yourself space, all those kinds of things, I think are really, really beautiful tools that are concrete and yet still allow room for the fact that what we're talking about is so human experience is complex, right? So, and it's kind of messy sometimes. It is. It is. And there's so many little pieces after you like kind of did that little digestion right there for us that I was like, oh, I want to like talk a little bit about this and this and this. Um, so many different things I could go into. But um, and I think one of them in terms of just like a really tangible tool. So we talked about space. Space is like in many ways the ultimate digester. And sometimes as parents, you know, like I sometimes look at like, like I don't have space in my life. I don't have time. You know, we get into these um stories and some of them are very valid. You know, they're the realities is that we're, we're very subscribed as parents in the amount of responsibilities that we have. And still we can cultivate space in our own experience. And meditation is one, you know, great way to do that. And maybe you can say like, well, I don't have time to meditate because of all the things, but uh, one practice that I really love that was talked to by my first teacher. um, That is just a fantastic way to genuinely bring meditation into every moment of your day. It's called second attention. And basically, you know, we have the capacity to divide our attention. Um, And you, everyone I'm sure has experienced this. If you're driving somewhere and you get to your destination and you're like, I don't even remember driving the last five minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's because driving became your second attention while your first attention became whatever you're thinking about. Mm -hmm. And so we have this power and capacity and we can actually cultivate that second attention. Um, And one of the easiest ways to do that is by having conscious breathing. Mm -hmm. And if you just, you know, breathing is something that can be conscious or it can be unconscious. If you turn it on and just make it this conscious thing in the back of your mind, you're going to be not only regulating your nervous system and adding more space to your experience, you're literally bringing more space into your lungs, into your nervous system. Um, But it also just gives a little bit of also space between reactivity too, and a little bit of space between you and the stimulus to be like, oh, you know, I have a little bit of choice and I can, I can, I can choose how I meet this situation. And uh, so I highly recommend, you know, just bringing your awareness to your breath, bringing your awareness to your breath, breathe deeper. And you can do that, you know, ideally you're remembering a hundred times a day because you're probably forgetting a hundred times a day. It might end up being, oh, I forgot for a week. Um, And that would be good. I should go ahead and do that again. But, you know, that's, that's a really good way to just cultivate space, even if you don't have time to sit on a cushion and feel, you know, that vast spaciousness within. Mm, I love that. So you're saying by bringing our attention to our breath as our first attention and letting whatever is happening on the outside become our second attention. Actually breath as second attention. Um, So that would be kind of the background tether, but you just have this little bit of like, even as I'm talking, I'm 
you know, aware that I'm breathing out. And then when you talk or when I pause, I can have a little breath in and just have this awareness of my, my breath while my first is attention is on the fact that I'm talking. Oh, okay. Okay. I'm really glad I clarified. Okay. So our breath is our second attention in the background. Ooh, I like that. That's really nice. I really believe in breath work and I think it's beautiful. And I also think if you don't have time for meditation, I'm just going to put in the plug that that means you really, really could consider making time for meditation. Cause anytime you think you don't have time for it, it means you need it even more. Yeah. My tea teacher says, um, there's a Zen saying, um, meditate an hour a day, unless you don't have time, then meditate for two hours a day. <laughs> yes. yes. I love it. Meditation is for me, the really a, a fulcrum point for my practice. So Okay. I, for my, I'm going to call it resilience practice today, since we're talking about being resilient, it is key to really any, my ability. I can, I notice my reactivity changes immensely on days that I do not do my meditation practice. So, Mm -hmm. um, okay. That is so beautiful. Lopa. Can you tell us, I, I want to keep talking, but I know for our timeline today, um, we are nearing the end of our time. So I want to, there's so many things more I want to explore with you here, but let's talk about our bodies here a little bit. I have been, I, I don't drink caffeine myself and I am really, what's the word conscious about, I mean, I have a very, my approach towards eating is really just intuitive eating. I, on, I really believe that we should honor our body's hunger. And I think there are a lot of negative messages about out there about food. And so I'm really not like restrictive in any way or strict in, I just, when I'm hungry, I, I enjoy, anyway, and we have, we have all sorts of episodes about our having a healthy relationship towards food, but something that I do love, I love when I can bring something into my body and I can feel my body respond like, ah, yes, I was really wanting that. And Rasa is something that you developed, correct me if I'm wrong, but you developed because when you were after, was it your first baby or your second baby? Yes. First baby. That you're wanting something that yeah. you could take into your body to help that wasn't, that didn't have a lot of caffeine in it. So you developed Rasa, which the one I drink doesn't have caffeine in it. And it just has all these beautiful herbs in it. And um, when I first started drinking it, I, I had to have it with milk and honey. And now I just drink it straight. <laughs> like I love it just straight because my body feels good. Like my body, I can tell my body is actually wanting it. So can you just tell us a little bit about Rasa? and tell our listeners where they can find more about you and if they're interested in trying out Rasa, um, how to do that. Absolutely, yeah. So yeah, we have a line of coffee alternatives that span um, from no caffeine to, we have one blend that's actually mixed with coffee. So it has uh, some caffeine for many people. That's a great um, gateway drug, but all the rest of them are five milligrams of caffeine less. So very just from cacao. Uh, which has small amounts of caffeine and um, beautiful herbs, beautiful supply chain, everything's organic, um, sustainable, ethical as possible as we can make it at this stage of the business. And we're always working to to make it more so. And um, we recommend brewing in a French press. It's a wonderful little self-care ritual. Um, It takes 10 to to 15 minutes to brew. And it's a great time to, you know, sometimes of course, cooking breakfast, making lunch and doing, you know, all those kinds of things. But if you can, that's a great time to also do a little self-care, do a little meditation while it's brewing and then have that first sip of like conscious nourishment. And we're really going from the perspective of uh, this is nourishing energy as opposed to caffeine, which is extractive energy. It's kind of caffeine takes from tomorrow to fuel today, as Chinese medicine says. And um, 
this is going to really give more life to your years. These are longevity tonics that are also going to fuel you today and give you a nice, even keel energy, calm energy, we like to call it. And you can find us at wearerasa.com. And we've made a discount code for you guys as well. Use find the magic and you'll get 20% off your order. And um, we're, we're really big on always taking care of you. If you don't love the product, let us know. We'll, we'll, we'll take care of you. And uh, we put a tremendous amount of love into every bag. I love it. Can you give us just a little couple sentences about adaptogens in general? Because that's just such a beautiful concept. Mm, Yeah. So adaptogens are herbs that, you know, at the basic, very basic level, help your body to adapt to stress on the scientific level. They're actually uh, strengthening your neuroendocrine systems, stress response. So that's your nervous system and your endocrine system. There's two main pathways that they communicate to your adrenals that there's a stress impact um, and to release cortisol and coffee, like the the caffeine effect um, is just a cortisol release. Whereas this, the way that they work is completely different from stimulants. They're actually strengthening and literally enabling your, your resilience at the physical level. They're exercising that system. They mimic stress. Um, but it's in a good way, just in the way that, you know, at, when we do exercise, it is a stressor for our body, but it's a good stressor and we become stronger and we become more resilient in the face of that. So going back to that concept of resilience, these are, these are plants that have an intelligence that actually also genuinely help us to be more resilient in the face of stress. Mm-hmm. And that's a wonderful thing too, because if we have that little bit more resilience, then we have that little bit more space. Mm -hmm. coming back to that space, that little more bit more space. If we're not just kind of always in the stress response and it's like, okay, what, what can I change in my dynamic here? We often think that our life is static and like kind of, there's not much that we can do, but often there, there are things that we can do to improve our quality of life, to improve the person that we are and are offering to the world. Um, And it just takes that little bit of space and adaptogens are one way that we can invite more of that space into our body system through resilience. Mm, that's beautiful. What's your favorite way to drink rasa? What do you, cause I mentioned at the beginning I had to do, I did coconut milk and honey for, and cacao for a long time. That was my way I drank it for maybe the first six months. And now I just do it straight or with some cacao, but that's it. So how do you like to um, I I really like to uh, blend two products together. I've been really just into like, I almost never do just one rasa at a time. So um, as we've been talking, I've been drinking bold and joy together. Uh, or super happy sunshine. I also really like our calm and super happy sunshine blend together, but yeah, mixing and matching. And then I'll usually do some kind of non-dairy milk. I either have like, it's like just, you know, plant milk or whatever, or I do like, I blend it with coconut butter and a little bit of honey and some cardamom and, you know, kind of like do a whole thing. Making my mouth water. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I have to try all these other ones now. I've always just done the original. So anyway, that sounds delicious. Okay. Well, thank you, Lopa. And any of you listeners out there, if you're interested in trying it, find the magic is the code at We Are Rasa. And I am so curious to see some of my, anyway, I have some of my family loves it. And I, I mean, it's my favorite thing. So if you try it, let me know, message me and tell me how you feel about it. But Lopa, thank you so much for your time. I, I feel like I can keep talking to you about a lot of things here, but I'm really glad we touched on resilience, being intimate with pain, processing our trauma. I love that and giving ourselves space. And so thank you for sharing your story and for creating a product that helps us do that with our bodies. So I really appreciate your insights and your wisdom and your time. 
Thank you so much, Terlyn. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for the, the depth of conversation. I really appreciate it. Okay, wonderful. Okay, everybody, let's find the magic. <clears throat> me, 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 me. <laughs> Brown cows. <laughs> <laughs>